I hope we can do that. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 28, that section that we normally refer to as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, I think I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that as far as the church goes, as far as Christian people go, this is one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. Our Lord has been crucified, buried, and risen, and uh, He's about to send back into heaven. And these are our marching orders. Verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I want you to notice that in this section we see several things related to our mission. And by the way, we are here on earth on a mission. None of us are left here just for the sake of enjoying life. Now, it's a wonderful thing when we can enjoy life. You know, that's well and good. But our purpose in life is not to satisfy ourselves our main purpose is not to gratify the flesh, but to glorify the Lord. And we do that by being obedient to the Lord. Aren't you glad that God has a purpose and a plan for your life? I mean, you're not just here taking up space, but God, in, in all of His wisdom, wants to use you. And, and that's what we see here now. I want you to notice several things related to our mission. I'm just going to briefly mention these, and then we're going to camp out on the last part of it. I want you to notice here the imperative of missions. He says, go. Go. That, that's the imperative. That, that, that is the command. We are to go into all of the world. That's why we have that little sign up, I don't know, they were going to get it made again in all of the construction. It got lost, but it says, you know, the little sign at the door says, you are now entering the mission field. Because when we walk out that door, we're entering the mission field. Whether we're in Humble or Atascacita or Kingwood or China or wherever we are, we are on the mission field. And the Lord has commanded us to go. That is an imperative. If we're not doing that, then we're living in disobedience to the Lord. That's why one old-timey preacher many years ago made the statement, he said, there are two kinds of Christians in this world, soul winners and backsliders. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. We are commanded to go. That's an imperative. Notice the instrument of missions. Go ye. Now, that's important. Who's he talking to? Well, you say he's talking to the apostles, and indeed, that's correct. He's talking to the apostles, but who are the apostles? Well, the apostles constitute the first church. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 27, he said some first in the church, apostles, and the Lord said, I will establish my church, and he did. During his earthly ministry, he established 
his church with that handful of men, that first church. And now this is important because of the fact we need to realize that the Great Commission is given to the Lord's church. It's not given to us as individuals, but rather the church. This is our mission. And our purpose as a church is to fulfill this mission. Notice also not only the imperative of it and the instrument of missions, but the importance of missions. He says, go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. Well, we could talk a lot about that, but it's kind of like I've often said, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to look back at what comes earlier and see what it is there for. In other words, read the context, read what precedes that and find out what the subject is. And whenever you look back, you'll notice in verse number 18, for example, he said that he has all powers given unto him in heaven and earth. In other words, he is speaking with authority, divine authority. Therefore, because the Lord is speaking. This is not a request, it is a command. And therefore, because of who He is, we ought to respond in obedience to His command. Not only do we see the imperative and the instrument and the importance of it, but we see the instruction for missions. Notice He tells us three things. He says, Go ye therefore and teach. Literally, that Greek word teach there means to make disciples. It has to do with us going out and making disciples from unbelievers. That is, that we are to win those that are lost. And then, after we bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to baptize them. And after that, we are to teach them to observe all things whatsoever He has commanded us so that's the responsibility of the church in fact listen as a church whenever we meet here together the main purpose in doing that is that we might we might edify the christians build them up and strengthen them teach them to obey all things it's so amazing to me that we hear so little about the matter of discipleship Today, all of us ought to think of ourselves as disciples. We ought to think ourselves of being in the school of Christ where He is the teacher and He is the subject. And as students in the school of Christ, we ought to learn all we can about His person and His work. So that's the instruction. Go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe everything that I've taught you. Now notice the inclusiveness of missions. He says that we are to do that and go to what? All nations. In other words, there is no place that is off limits. It doesn't make any difference. I mean, you just take a globe and put your finger on any spot on that globe And the Lord wants us to have a witness there, to go to all nations. Some people have the idea that our responsibility doesn't extend beyond the city limits of the city in which we we live. And that's simply not true. We have a responsibility not only to this city, but to this county and to this state and this country and every other nation 
And that's what the Lord expects. He tells us that we're to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. Notice the intent. The intent is that people might observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, obviously, we could talk for several hours about each and every one of those things that I've just mentioned. But tonight, for a few minutes, I want to focus in on the last part of that statement, and that is the inspiration of missions. Notice what he says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Well, it just seems strange to me that so little attention is given to this last phrase, I am with you. You know, I'm amazed at how we can read that without any emotion. And it makes me wonder sometimes if we really believe that, because that ought to inspire wonder. It ought to infuse hope. It ought to ensure us of the strength that we need. It ought to instill joy in our life, because He who is faithful and true, the one who cannot lie, said, I'll be with you forever and always. So there's never a moment of any day that God is not with us. Sometimes, whenever we're going through dark days and difficult times, sometimes whenever our thinking is not clear and we're in pain and we're confused, you know, it just feels like that we're all alone in a sinful world. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord is there then as much as any other time in our life, regardless of the circumstances we find our sufficiency in Him. You know, I think about the uh, whatever the warmth is to the winter and the song, you know, uh, in, in the summer, the sunshine after the storm and all of those things that we think of that, that bring us comfort and bring us joy. That's what the Lord is to us. Whether it's in sickness or health or whatever it is, He's for us. He's not against us. He's with us. He's not a God who is afar off. And in Him, we have everything because we have Him. Sometimes we look at all of that other stuff and, you know, all of the other benefits and so forth, and we lose sight of the fact the main thing is that we have him. Mark it down. No person is poor who has God for his Father in heaven for his home, Jesus for his Savior, the Holy Spirit for his helper. How in the world can we think about ourselves as being poor and deprived when we have all of that? If God never did anything but save us, we wouldn't have anything to complain about. If we never had a bite of food to eat or clothes to put on our back or anything else. And and the thing that gets us so upset and the thing that makes life so difficult for us usually is because we are aggravated and frustrated because we're not getting what we feel we deserve. And, And if we ever really are able to grasp the truth that we don't deserve anything, it'll help us to be thankful for everything and to realize 
that just having Jesus Christ as our Savior is absolutely the only thing that we need for everything that we crave. He is the one that fills that empty spot in our heart. And yet, we talk about this and we, listen, we say we believe it, we acknowledge it. I mean, right here it is. Many of you could have quoted these verses that I've just read tonight. And and yet, some way or another, we're unmoved. Unmoved by the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could bring in the greatest orator in all of the land, whoever that might be. I'm not sure who it would be, but whoever it is, we could bring in the greatest orator in the land, and he could get up and he could, uh, could expound on the Scriptures, and yet there are those that would sit there and show absolutely no emotion. They can listen to the grand old hymns of the faith that proclaim the perfections of Christ, and yet they do it without any expression of emotion. They can listen to a sermon about the grace of God, and yet they never respond. And we reach that place like it's just kind of old hat to us anymore. The old preacher Vance Hafner used to talk, talk about being in a rut. And you know, we get in a rut a lot of times, and and, and even the excellencies of the Lord and all of the wonders of God, the glories of heaven and everything that we can think of, some way it just doesn't move our heart. Let me tell you, that is one of the best evidences that I know of that we need revival. Whenever we are unmoved by those glorious truths. Now, I want you to think tonight about the practical value of this statement. I am with you always. I want you to see how practical this is. I I, I don't want you just to, you know, to think of it just in theory, but rather this is something that is, is practical and something that should affect us in, in a very real way. In the first place, for those of us who really believe this, the promise of His presence is something that enthralls. Now, that word enthrall means to captivate. It means to fascinate. It means that it holds you spellbound. In other words, it's a word that describes something that just reaches out and grabs you by the throat and won't let go. It makes you just stand in wonder. And... I don't know if you've ever noticed, surely you have, how people act when they're in the presence of uh, someone who's famous. Jason was talking this morning. He had to go to work. He was here in uniform, had to go to work, and it just so happened that that he had worked the accident of Arian Foster, one of our other police officers here, by the way, uh, was talking about the fact that he'd been, you know, in, in the home there and so forth, and uh, so I, I said, well, did you get his autograph? <laughs> well, you know, they're not supposed to do stuff like that, but that was the first thing that came to my mind is get his autograph, you know. But have you ever noticed how people, how people are when they're in the presence of people that are, are famous? <laughs> 
Just ask some of these older women about Elvis. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And uh, (laughs) some of them them might tell you the way that it used to be when Elvis was in a concert or something, and oh, my land, the the girls girls just went wild. Uh, That's the only way I know. Well, that's not the only way I know how to describe it, but it's the most decent way I know how to describe it. I mean, they went crazy out of their mind. I never have figured out why the girls can do that. Well, maybe I better not go there. <laughs> you know that. I, uh, I, uh, this guy on Criminal Minds, well, uh, everybody. So I'm not going to watch Criminal Minds anymore. So so and so's not going to be on there. Well, you talk about a heartthrob. I mean, I, I guess I guess he is, but uh, get excited because in the presence of people that are famous. Now, now I've been pretty rough on you, ladies. I'll I'll move on. And the men, have you ever noticed how childish men will act when they're in the presence of maybe some athlete? Oh my land! I I can remember as a boy. Uh, uh, meeting Stan Musial and Red Shandies and Sherm Lawler and some of the major league ball players, and I got their autograph. And wow, that was a that, that, that was a big deal. We had one of the Houston Rockets here last year, and and uh, you, you know, and you you find out, hey, that that guy plays for the Houston Rockets or something, or you know, the Texans or whatever it is, and. Well, people just get all excited about that. Now, you know, it might be they have terrible character, but we just seem to ignore that. But we get all excited about that. And then we come down here and we read the Lord who has all power in heaven and earth, the Lord who can meet absolutely every need, the Lord who loves us more than anything, says, I am with you always. And we we just shrug our shoulders and act like God is either dead, sick, or a thousand miles away and unconcerned. Just because you don't see Him doesn't mean He isn't there. The fact is, He is absolutely everywhere according to what the Bible says. And whenever we lose the wonder of that, Now, be honest with yourself tonight. Because how many times do you get excited about the fact that the Lord is with me? Now, you're going to leave here tonight and you're going to go home and and tomorrow and throughout this week you might encounter several difficulties and have decisions to make that might be extremely important. And you need to be reminded of the fact that whatever it is that you're going through, that the Lord is there with you. Let me tell you, if you're not enthralled by the, by the knowledge of His presence, you either don't know Him or you don't know enough about Him, one of the two, to think that He is with you. Not only that, but it also empowers or enables us 
you know, I, re- I really think sometimes we take too much credit for being a Christian. Let me explain that. And there are a lot of times, you know, I'll talk about, you know, the benefits of the believer. And there are many. Whenever we become a Christian, all of a sudden, you know, as a child of God and a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden now we have we have potential that we never had before. Now we have joy unspeakable and full of glory and a love that passeth all knowledge and a peace that passeth understanding and all of these things, all of these benefits. But if we're not careful, we get more concerned about the benefits than we do about the person of Christ. And I think it starts sometimes with the fact that when we become a Christian, we act like we're doing God a favor by asking Jesus and allowing Him to come into our heart and allowing Him to be the Lord of our life. Like we just did God a great big favor. Got news for you. God can get along just fine without you or me. Or us. And keep in mind that it was His love that sent Christ. It was His Son who died on the cross. It was His Word that brought us the news of that. It was His Holy Spirit who drew us and quickened us. And that's why we say salvation is of the Lord. It's what the Lord has done, not what we do. Whenever we think about His presence, the promise of His presence here, it empowers, it enables. Just stop and consider what He has done. Before I was saved, I was a, spiritually speaking, I was a corpse and He gave me life. I mean, I was dead as a hammer. All unsaved people are spiritually dead, separated from God, and yet He gives us life. We are sinners and He forgives us. We are prisoners and He sets us free. We're rebels against heaven and He gives us a new nature. We are strangers and He takes us in. Wow, what a great God He is. And to think about what He has done, but not only what He has done, we think about what He is doing Because although we fail, He is our advocate there at the right hand of the Father. And although we fail Him many times, He never fails us. And then we think about what He will do. He enables us to live in hope because He has given us, as Peter said, exceeding great and precious promises. Because of that, I can live every day with the assurance that His help is available in my time of need. Whether you're in the hospital with some illness, whether you're going through some sort of a calamity in your life, some great difficulty that you're facing, and you feel overwhelmed, just remember, you're not in it alone. He's there with you. Not only, not only does the promise of His presence enthrall us and enable us and empower us, it encourages us. I don't need to convince anybody here that the world is a difficult place to live, right? 
Job said, man, this morning of woman is a few days in full of trouble. Not just a little bit, but full of trouble. I mean, it's everywhere. You cannot get away from it. It's difficult, but thankfully we are not alone. The psalmist said that God is our refuge and strength. Now listen, a very present help in trouble. Very. That, that, that's implying truly that this is the absolute truth, no doubt about it. He is a very present help in trouble. And, and you think about the fact that He stands by us. He walks with us. He goes before us. He, he, he stays behind us. He hovers over us, abides within us, and His presence is there every step of the way. In, in 1896, the Glasgow University conferred on David Livingston, the great famous missionary, uh, the degree of Doctor of Laws. And so as he stood before the student body on that day and the faculty, he was received very respectfully as he should have been, but yet he was gaunt and he was haggard. His left arm hung helplessly at his side because he had been attacked by a lion and it was useless. He had had all different kinds of fevers from living there in the jungles and gone through all kinds of horrible hardships. And as he stood before them that day, he resolved to return back to Africa. He's an old man now, and yet he wants to go back to Africa. And he made a statement, and I've jotted it down, and I've kept it for years and years and years. And I'm going to read it verbatim. This, this is what he said to the folks at the university. Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all of the years of exile from a people whose language I did not really understand and whose attitude toward me was always uncertain and often hostile. It was this, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. On these words I staked everything, and they never fail. They will not fail. And I want you to know, they didn't fail Livingston, and they will not fail you. But how is it that these words meant so much to him and so little to most people today? If you know his story, you know that he did go back to Africa. He died in Africa. They cut his heart out and buried it in Africa. Here was a man totally devoted and willing to make any sacrifice because he knew the Lord was with him. On the 29th, we'll have a man here that night, as I've already mentioned, who has devoted his life to reaching the Muslims. He's from that part of the world. He was one of them. He became a Christian, was disowned by his family, literally, They've already not only threatened his life, but they've already made attempts to assassinate him. The army has already commanded him to shut down the ministry there or else. 
And he made the statement. He said, I know it's just a matter of time until, until, until they'll kill me. But, but that's all right. I'm not quoting verbatim now. He's simply, simply stating in his testimony, that's, that's all right. I'm willing to do that for the sake of telling people about Christ. How in, how in the world can somebody put their life on the line and give up everything that most people hold dear just to tell other people about Jesus? It's the fact that he knows that the Lord is with him. Let me tell you something. You are invincible until God is through with you. We often think about John the Baptist getting his head cut off. You know why that happened? Well, we, we, we can you know, talk about all different things, but basically it all boils down to this. The Lord was through with him, and he allowed it to happen. Just knowing that the Lord is with us ought to encourage us. You see, our belief affects our behavior. We're moved by whatever it is that we truly believe. For example, if you're in a crowded movie theater and somebody yells fire, if you really believe there's a fire, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to respond. You're going to get up and you're going to get out of there. You're going to do something. You're not going to sit there and complain because something interrupted the movie. I want my money back. I Man, there's a fire. Don't you know that? This place is on fire. You need to get out of here. Well, I'm not too sure that there's a real fire or not, you know, and no. Whenever, listen, whenever you really believe that there is a fire, you're going to get up and you're going to get out of there. And by the same token, listen, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ is preached and whenever we are confronted with the, with the promises of God, about His presence, if we really believe that, it's going to affect our attitude and it's going to affect our actions. And the problem is that we've reached a point, and I say we, I'm talking about Christians in general, we've reached a point to where we are not all that delighted about the great doctrines of the Bible. I'm telling you the truth now. You know, a preacher can get up and tell a bunch of jokes and a few sob stories and something like that. And, oh, my land, oh, how wonderful that is. And, you know, what a great message that was. And it had absolutely nothing to do with anything related to the Scriptures whatsoever. In other words, what I'm saying is people in this day and age, they get bored with the most glorious, wonderful truths imaginable. There's, there's something wrong with that. I was reading an article here a while back talking about the things that preachers need to do in this day and age, you know, to get people's attention, hold their attention, and appeal to them in the message, and talked about, you know, the ever-shrinking attention span of people. I mean, you've you got to get there and, you know, get the message out there real fast and it'll really help if you put it all up on the screens and so forth like that where they can see what you mean and, and it goes on and on and on. In other words, and you've got to have this drama. 
Let me tell you, the dogma is the drama. That, that's the thing that we are to get excited about, the truth. The preacher can't set you free. The sermon can't set you free. But the truth sets you free. And whenever we reach that place in our Christian life, that it becomes old hat, we've lost the wonder The people live out in the mountain areas, you know. After they've lived there for several years, I remember preaching right there at the foot of Pikes Peak, standing and looking up there. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Everybody else just walking around, they live there. They didn't pay any attention to it. It's just there, you know. Sometimes we get that way about the things of the Lord. And I'm just, and I'm through, but I just want to sum it up. But I want to remind you that for the child of God, there ought to be great delight in the promise of His presence. Now, these are not idle words. These are put here by way of inspiring us. He's telling the apostles, I want you to go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And oh, by the way, you're going to be hated for my name's sake, and you're going to be, you're going to be persecuted, and some of you are going to be, well, murdered. Uh, he, that, he told them that. They, they knew what was on the slate whenever they received their marching orders. It didn't come as a surprise to them. But he said, I want you to go and I want you to do it anyway. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you. I think about whenever the Lord was sending Moses, you know, to Pharaoh's telling let my people go and and the Lord said he said, I'll I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And Moses made a statement, he said, you know he he, he said, I'll I'm not going unless you go with me. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't want to tackle a project like that either unless the Lord was with me. But whenever I know without any doubt the Lord is with me, it makes all of the difference in the world. It makes a difference, for example, it makes a difference when we're facing difficulties. I love Isaiah chapter number 43 where he talks about the fact that the rivers will not overflow you. And he talks about all of the possibilities and different kinds of difficulties that the people would encounter. But the Lord said, I will be with you. He'll be with you in your difficulties, whatever they are. If you're a child of God and the will of God, you can depend on the presence of God. It might be it might be disease. And by the way, sooner or later all of us are headed that way, aren't we? We're all headed for a sick bed. All of us, sooner or later, we're going to hear the doctor say, you know, well, I've I've done all that I can do. It's you know, it's out of my hands now. But it's not out of God's hands. He can He can still do whatever He wants to do. And then and then the fact of the matter is, it's appointed that a man wants to die. Regardless of how much we want to get that out of our mind, you might as well get used to it, because you're going to die. You're going to die. 
And by the way, heaven is not a demotion. I, I did, I did tell you that the best is yet to come, right? Do we really believe that? That to die is gain, as Paul said. To die is gain. It's not loss, it's gain. Wouldn't it be awful to stand at death's door without any assurance whatsoever of a life beyond the grave? Listen, it's not an accident that Psalms 23 is so meaningful to so many people. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see, it makes all the difference in the world knowing that He is with you in life and in death and in whatever difficulty you're going through. You can be encouraged tonight as you leave here. As I said, if you're a child of God in the will of God, you never have to doubt the presence of God because He'll be with you in whatever storm you're going through. There's an old, old-timey song that says, uh, you know, I heard it first from Ernest Tubb, when the storms of life are raging, stand by me. Thou who rulest wind and waves, stand by me. I'm so glad that the Lord stands by us during the most difficult times of our life. And He's not, listen, He's not there to just pat us on the back and say, well, it'll be okay. He's there with a mighty hand and able to do exceeding and abundant above all that we could ever ask or think. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Trust Him because He will stay with you and never fail you. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You for all of the many promises that You've given throughout Your Word, the many times over and over and over again that You said, fear not. And yet so many times we find ourselves in a state of despair and we wring our hands. We're so filled with fear that we, that we don't even enjoy the life that You've given us to live. And so I pray tonight that your Holy Spirit might impress upon our hearts this glorious truth that wherever we are and whatever we're going through, that you're right there with us. And Lord, we realize tonight that the only thing that makes this service or any church service anything special or helpful is you being there. Were it not for your presence, this wouldn't be any more than a glorified social club. And we might as well shut the doors. But just knowing that you said where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be in the midst of them. Knowing that you're here is the thing that makes all the difference in the world. 
And I pray tonight that in some way you'll manifest your presence to your people, that you'll encourage their heart and strengthen their hands and help them through their difficulties. For we ask it in Jesus' name.